Welcome to the Life Saving Gratitude Podcast. I'm Bunny Terry, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Johanna Medina. And this week, we talked to a friend of mine, David James Baker, who I also consider um, a renaissance man and a philosopher at the same time that he is he works on the cutting edge of, of digital technology. So um, I'm a little biased because he's one of my favorite people. And he also thinks he is, he, he is both broad and deep. He's a really deep thinker with a million different ideas and interests. So I know that our listeners are going to find him fascinating at, at the same time that just like every time we do this, I, I'm always so surprised at the turns it takes, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just thinking, too, the way you were saying that, um, like, whenever we ask David a question, or you ask him, unfortunately, I'm not really on this episode because we recorded a little bit later in the day and kind of on baby duty, but um, I did, I was there for kind of technical support, and when I went back and listened as I was editing, I noticed, you know, David, he really takes his time in answering questions when you ask him like he's really thoughtful about what he's saying um which is makes the editing process easier too but it's also a good lesson i think and okay you're you're giving him a lot of compliments but he's kind of taking that in and really thinking okay um you know how do i address that and just like i said being being really thoughtful about his answers and it was it's also i like I don't know. I just love this episode too, because of the way um, it started out with one thing, like kind of talking about communication and turned into, you know, a great parenting lesson and um, talking a lot about even mindful parenting and just kind of his philosophy on um, loving people. Yeah, it it did. It definitely did go broad and deep. (laughs) So I think that's a good way to describe it. But I pulled a lot of great quotes from this week, so I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. Well, and one of the things that he, I kept thinking about since we talked to him was um, he said, you have to live in reality mm-hmm. and you have to know that what's right in front of you doesn't lie. Um, Toby and I talked about this a lot yesterday about how when we're, you know, in that first half of our life, we spent so much time not living in reality. I mean, people call call it living in the moment, but I like the idea of living in reality because this is our reality. You know, this moment is what we have. And mm-hmm. if we don't live in this moment in the way that David described, then we miss the moment altogether. And what we're thinking about, the the reality that we think is important, which is not really reality, but is the future or the past, is uh, we don't have any control over that and it's already gone. So if you're not living in reality, uh, he also talked about what love means, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he has... I, I tried to expl- I tried to explain this to Lisa too yesterday and I couldn't say it in quite the way he did, but I definitely, I mean, I wrote it down too that, um, you know, he's talking about how it might be controversial, but the way he says it will totally make sense when you listen to the episode, but about, um, you know, love is, you can't really have love without some suffering and some pain and you can't love somebody without letting them suffer too. And, um, he related it a lot to his son that, 
you know, you, you want to maybe protect your kids from suffering and pain and you want to keep them protected, but there's going to be suffering in life at some point. And if you just protect them from that, then um, they're not going to know how to, you know, deal with that suffering. Cause I mean, you can't make it through life without a little bit of suffering. And um, it also reminded me of, you know, when we talked to Daphne and she talked about resilience and, and kind of building that resilience. So if you're always, you know, protecting your kids or your loved ones from suffering and pain, they're never going to be able to build up some of that resilience. So but it's also hard, right? It's hard to watch the people you love suffer or make choices for themselves that you might not want for them. So um, I thought that was a really interesting concept that love love is pain sometimes. Well, and it made me think of, um, David said, I had to learn to let Zadrian fall. I had to learn to, and he meant that both in the literal and the figurative sense. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about how um, I made a million terrible mistakes. Um, I, I mean, just like everybody else, I continued to make them sometimes. But my dad, especially, I'm sure that mom did the same thing, but my, but they never, there was not a moment when they said, uh, we really don't think you should quit school at the end of your freshman year and move away from New Mexico state and go somewhere. I mean, they never said, don't do that. Mm. They said, well, do you need us to help you move or do, I mean, they always supported, they never said you're going to fall flat on your face and you're never going to have a dime and it's going to take you <laughs> 20 years to finish your college education. They never said any of that. They just said, okay. And then they let me fall. And then if I needed, you know, like if I needed dad to come up and put a new muffler on my car, he would do that. But they let me fall a lot. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's actually a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I am. Uh, I think it's proven obviously in your life that, that, that can work out. And again, you can't stop some things from happening. You know what I mean? Like you can't stop everyone's going to make mistakes or, you know, they might turn out that you thought they were a mistake at the time, but then it turns out that was probably the best thing that could have happened or should have happened at that moment. So yeah, we need to just as parents and as people in relationships, you know, sometimes you have to let people make those choices and, and be there and just support them. Um, uh, you know, he has a lot of great links that he talked about and we'll definitely, you know, we'll link his bio and all of his information. But David is um, definitely a very interesting and, you know, I think interesting person and someone I think we learned a lot from this week. So I was I'm happy we were able to get him on. Me too. Me too. So enjoy and thanks for being here. We're here today with a friend and a colleague, um, David James Baker, who I met in a rather unorthodox way. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about what I know about David. He is, uh, he, if, if you look him up online, he is first and foremost a communicator in several different ways. He's a 
He's a digital marketer. He is a filmmaker. He's, he's on the cutting edge of a lot of different digital technologies at the same time that he is a really traditional renaissance man. He communicates in really cutting edge and really old fashioned ways that make him one of my most fascinating friends. And just a couple of weeks ago, I called David on the phone and I said, I don't know why, but I knew I needed to give you a call this morning. And I think we hadn't talked in about six months. But what I knew at that moment was that he was somebody that my listeners, that our followers needed to know um, for, for several different reasons. And, and I know I keep saying that, you know, he's, he's just this dichotomy of progressive, cutting edge digital guy at the same time as he is, I hope you don't mind me saying this, David, but sort of an old soul in terms of how the world works. And he is a genius in terms of mindset and meditation. One of, one of the things he did recently is um, he wrote a book called Prayers of an Old Dad. It's a book of poetry, reflection, and meditations from walking in the New Mexico desert with his son, who happens to be eight years old. Um, so, so we're, we're going to post his bio because it's so long. I mean, he's taught all over the world. He was the manager of internet technologies at UCLA. Um, he, I'm going to tell you when David and I met, I knew this tiny slice about him and, and, and I still continue after, is it three years, David? I can't recall. It's after all this time, I, every time we talk, I learn something new. So please take a moment, look at his bio. It's probably got some skills that you could hire, but um, it's David, you got to tell people how we met one another, how we connected because it, we, I think we were connected in a different way in a different world. It's so crazy. It's really uh, funny. I always think about how I, how we found each other, Bunny. Um, I was at the time commuting from San Diego to LA and I had to leave San Diego at, had to be in the car at 4 a.m. in order to get to where I needed to be in the San Fernando Valley at 6.30. And if I was 15 minutes late, I ended up being 45 minutes late on the, on the other end. And around that time, I was teaching digital media at a Jewish college in the Valley, and I was thinking about real estate. And so I started writing to a lot of real estate brokers saying, hey, I'm a digital media guy, and I have some ideas about selling real estate because real estate really just lends itself to visual media. And I want you to know, Bunny, I don't know if I've told you this, but I must have written to 50, 100, 150, I don't know, pick a number. And one person wrote back, and that was you. And I was like, wow, that were two lessons. One lesson was, well, real estate brokers, they don't really communicate unless they, like, sniff a deal or something. Um, and you did. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. And she's in New Mexico. And uh, we owned a own a house in New Mexico, and I have taught previously and worked previously in New Mexico, went to graduate school in New Mexico. Um, and so then when I spoke to you, it was just really fascinating, um, to make that connection and it, it, you, you brought me back to New Mexico, Bunny, is what you, what you did. So I can thank you. For wow. That. Wow. Well, 
we're so happy you're here. And then you came, we, we worked in the same brokerage for a while, but the coolest thing that happened is that every time we got in a room, we, it, it was sort of like, it was almost like we were combustible because our ideas flew so rapidly. And, um, you know, the other thing that I failed to say is that you're, you're a, not only a communicator, but you're really a creator. You create, you, you have a million ideas and you create this beautiful writing and then you create, you know, you went up to Northeastern New Mexico and created these films of this ranch I had listed that made everybody want to move to Clayton, New Mexico. It was nuts. Um, not that I'm not saying everybody doesn't want to live in Clayton, New Mexico, but it's so, so you work in this, I'm just curious about, um, I mean, do you see yourself as um, an optimist, a realist? What I want to talk about mindset for a minute because you you're so good at keeping this notebook and recording all of your ideas, all of your thought processes. Tell talk about that. Talk about how you see yourself. Um, well, uh, how I see myself. Uh, the first thing of the way I see myself is a work in progress. And, and, and I see myself for my, uh, my faults and my failures. Um, so I try to be honest to myself about that. And then I, I look for um, ways every day that I can build upon that. So I, I start the morning really early and I try to just set some time between three and four or four and five in the morning to be quiet and to write and to journal and to think about what it is I would like to do this day. And um, so it's a way for me to physically um, be involved in meditation, to, to sit quiet, quietly in meditation, in prayer, but also to, um, to keep track of, of those things that enter my mind when I'm in that space. And um, I remember one time we were at a, at a meeting and somebody asked, you know, what's your process? Everybody, what's your process? So everybody went around the room and said, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? And I remember saying, well, the first thing I, I think about is I try not to think about anything. <laughs> when I, start wow. I really want to have, I want to have an empty, empty, empty brain and, and see what I can, where I can go from there. So I think that's my process is, is, you know, starting out, what did I, what did I not do so well yesterday and, and what's on my mind and what can I do um, better and what have I not done so well in my life and what can I do uh, better because I think you have to have both. Um, and then how I see myself, I, I, I think of myself as first and foremost, a, a communicator, a problem solver, uh, uh, I like to find creative solutions to problems. So branding and marketing and communications and film are areas that are just, I've always worked in, in media and I've always been attracted to media. So I'm some kind of a mediator, I think in, in a traditional sense of medium. And I also, I'm fortunate that I have people in my life that I can serve and so a lot of times I get frustrated about, uh, you know, that didn't go so well. That relationship didn't work out. That transaction didn't go the way I wanted it to. But I have to stop and remind myself that 
I'm lucky to have a lot of people to serve. And, um, and then that kind of takes the pressure off of me, you know, so it becomes sort of a, a question of what can I do for you? And, um, I, I, I know, I, I know I'm this person that's this and this and this, and, and I know those areas where I have strengths and weaknesses, but let's take the spotlight off of that. And what can I do in service to others? And I think that's in, in my maturation and aging I've um, decided is the place that I, I most like to be is a place where I can successfully serve others. And then when I can't successfully serve them, I can um, remember that, uh, that who I love and who I like is a choice. And it's not, it's not two way, you know, just because you love other people doesn't mean they love you. But um, I think uh, we have an opportunity to um, serve others and to love others at the highest level. And um, I used to think in my 20s and 30s, oh, I have a lot to say. I want to say this and I want to say that. And actually, now I don't think I have that much to say anymore. I, I, I just basically have one message, and that's the message. And I look for places where I can, I can serve that message. That that's a great what you just the thing that I wrote down because I always do this I tend to I tend to end up writing a lot while we're doing these podcasts but I you know I and you know this that my affirmation every morning or my prayer was always um, let me you know let um, you know thank you for the people that I get to help today and what you just said was I'm lucky to have a lot of people to serve. And that, you know, who you love and who you like is a choice, whether they like you back. And I, um, that's, that's a huge truth that you have to figure out. I mean, it's crazy that I have to get to, be, to this age to figure that out. Um, but it is a gift to have a lot of people that you get to serve on a daily basis. And you do that through your, through marketing and, and and, and we got to talk just for a minute about business because real estate is is really a service industry. People like to think of it as sales, but it's not. It's service. Are I, you shaking I your totally head? I totally agree with you. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Um, in the short time that I've been working with brokers and brokerages on branding and marketing and then became licensed myself as, as a broker, the way I think of exactly what you're saying is um, – is, is real estate is a place to help people solve their problems. And everybody needs a, everyone needs a place to live, whether it's an apartment or, you know, a mobile home, whatever it is. Um, you know, the question I ask is how can I help you solve, solve your problems to get to where you want to be? And it really is about service. But David, don't you think that's what people miss in marketing is instead of talking about what they can sell to you, they need to be talking about how they can solve your problem. Well, one of the, that's interesting. One of the things that I've learned uh, in the digital domain is that marketing is not really about messaging. I always thought, you know, marketing was about telling your story, having a beginning, a middle and end, and a coherent message. And in fact, in the world we live in now, marketing is about engagement. So it's about an interaction and an ongoing interaction. And if you can have that interaction and continue that interaction, then we can actually get somewhere. But if I'm just trying to tell you something, it's a, it's a one-way channel. And, and, um, and it's not really 
that's successful. So I think one thing that we miss, it's easy for us to miss in marketing, branding, and communications is that it's not just about me pausing long enough for you to say what you need to say so that then I can say what I'm thinking about. It's really about how can we create an engagement and how can we come back to that? And that's what you do better than anyone I know on social media is you're up every morning and you have an audience and you're reaching out to your audience every day consistently. It's work. It's, it's work. Um, consistently reaching out to your audience and, and being there for them in the way that only you can be there for them. And it's successful, obviously. Well, and I think that that's another thing about communication. And what you just said is that it's not just waiting for an opportunity to, to hit somebody with one shot. I mean, you, you have, you have to be willing to do, you have to be willing to market, not market to people, but communicate with people on a consistent basis because now you got to build trust. It's not like the old days when on Sunday night we watched Bonanza and we saw an ad for Pall Mall cigarettes or for ring around whisk that got rid of ring around the collar. We consumers don't just want facts anymore. They want to feel like you're engaged with them in some way. Right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear the end of it. You were breaking up just a little bit, but I think you're talking about how communications has changed, has changed and it certainly has. So I, I want to, I want to talk for a little bit because, and I know this is a big jump, but I want to talk because this is so, so near to my heart, David, is the way that you parent. Um, because you came to this at a different time of life than some of us, you know, I, I was like 21 when I had my first child. And so I wasn't mindful I in was any in way. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was in my 40s. <laughs> and you seem to do some pretty incredible mindful parenting and you communicate with Zadrian in a way that I didn't know how to communicate with my kids. I, um, well, I'm learning every day. And I, <laughs> I say that um, my, my son, who's eight, is, is, is my teacher, really. Part of my background is I have about 10 years of behaviorism training with horses, as, a, as an avocation and a passion. And I also did work. I took people, when I was going to graduate school, I worked for an outfitter taking people on pack trips in the, in the Rocky Mountains and worked for various trainers at that period in my life. So it was a, it was a passion, but it was really also about communications. Um, how I parent is um, really, a, that's a big question. Uh, let's see if I can do justice to this. I mean, well, we're, we're talking about communications in this broad sweep. And yet when I watch you as a parent and when I first met you, which was when Zadrian was, I, I don't know if he was four or five, but what I saw, I, I, he was four. And what I saw was that you brought a lot of those communication skills and maybe, and maybe old training in, um, in different, in different disciplines, but you brought a lot of that to your parenting and you've, you've raised this child who is really aware and kind and generous and creative. And, um, you know, it's, I, I had a cousin who said to me once, your only job is to raise kids that you're going to like as adults. You know, you, you know, certainly you want to make them feel safe, but, 
But the fact is that when you when you have kids early in life, you're almost too stupid to know how to be a parent, but you have a lot of energy. And now you bring this mindfulness to parenting that I'm 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 in awe of. I just have to tell you. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners your uh, how it works for you and Zadrian in small um, bits and in big bits. Um, well, I I have to also um, credit his mom too for her active involvement. Um, and Zadrian and I have been traveling a, a, our own journey too. That as he is my teacher and me as his, I think as a facilitator, as a guide, uh, um, as, as an extra set of eyes and ears to say, oh, whoa, 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 be aware of this. Whoa, 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 look out for that. I, one of the things that I think I had to learn was on the staircase was that I needed to learn that he needed to fall. And that was really hard um, to watch your kid fall. Okay, so it's like, this is the stairs, be careful. And that goes in one ear and out the other ear. And I was like, okay, so now it's time for me to let you fall. I have to let you fall. And when I was teaching at the university level, I would sometimes have parents come to me of kids and say, can, can, can Adrian please be in, in the digital animation class? Could you please let him in? And I learned to say to parents, I said, you know what? I'm totally, I'm willing to sign any paper to add him to her to the class, but let me do you a favor. If you want him to be in that class, he needs to come knock on my door and ask me to sign that piece of paper or he's not going to care about being in that class. So in order for us to be successful, I need you to go ask him to knock on my door and ask for my signature. Now with Zadrian, it, it, a challenge for me, an inflection point was definitely like, oh, this is not just about telling him how good he is and communicating and living some sort of fabulous life that doesn't really exist. But this is about, love is about suffering and pain. And I don't think you get to love someone unless you're also willing to suffer for them. And I just think that's part of the, part of the reality. So I've had to learn, continuing to learn, when, um, when Zadrian needs to fall and he needs to pick himself up. And um, um, that's, that's not easy. <laughs> As you know, it's not easy, but uh, I think it's so important. Uh, I, I read something recently where um, it was from the book. Um, it's from a woman who traveled around the world studying studying native cultures, parenting in native cultures. Hunt, gather, and parent is the book, and she said we as Americans so overpraise our children. It's just baked in because as Americans, we're so positive. We want to do things. We want to make a difference, you know, and we tend to over praise our children. I start, I started thinking about like, Oh my goodness, that's really right. You know, I want anytime, you know, a kid does something great, you want to say, great job, great job, great job. So I stopped doing that. And I just did a thumbs up. If he did something that was really good, I would just put a thumbs up. So I wasn't like, building him up for the expectation of hugs at the Olympic level every time he tied his shoes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I thought that was an interesting point. 
for me is is oh yeah we we really do over over satiate on the positivity and and life life is a balance we have good days and bad days we had a rough week this week and i found myself questioning a lot of things and uh, i can tell you that story briefly we we soccer started this week and we got to the soccer field and we looked on the rosters and all of the teams had coaches and they had a field assignments. His team did not have a coach and, and we didn't know where the field was. And um, so, and, but he knew his name. He was supposed to be a bulldog. Okay. He was on the bulldog team. Okay. <laughs> so we get out there and it's chaos. It was, it was just total chaos. It was post COVID returning to soccer. Nobody knows what's going on. And he has a low threshold for that. It's, it's really a challenge area for him. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, just join these guys. Here's a team. Let's work with these guys. Well, um, and then a couple other kids came by and they were looking for a place. So I started talking to them and finding their parents and trying to help them find where they were supposed to go because we've done it before. And Zadrian walks over to me with his head hanging down and he said, those are badgers. I'm a bulldog. I need to be on my team. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And he was dead serious that he is not a badger. I was like, oh, my goodness. You've got to be kidding me. Now, after all this, you're going to have a meltdown that you're, you're a bulldog and you can't practice with the badgers? And it was so frustrating in that moment. And you know what? He spiraled. And I just had to let him spiral and I just went and played soccer and he would he would come in and come out and he eventually did work through it but that night I had to spend about 45 minutes um meditating praying thinking about my own frustration because here I was a parent and all the perfect soccer parents were lined up on the side of the soccer field all the other kids were just happy to jump in on a team that had way too many members and nobody knew what team they were really playing on. But Zadrian's a rule guy. And he wanted to know, what's my team and what's my position? And, and it was too much for him. It was a meltdown. And I was like, oh, gosh. So it was, it was actually, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but I want you to know emotionally for me, it was really challenging. Uh, no, and I, so... We talked about this that morning when I felt like I needed to give you a call. We talked about me hearing Glennon Doyle talk about how we have worked so hard to insulate our children in, in this, this generation of parents have worked so hard to insulate our children from any level of suffering. And she said, um, suffering is around the corner. It's either going to be next Tuesday or next month, or we can't convince, we can't create children who are, who don't know what it's like to suffer a little bit. And, um, and she talked, she said, you know, my generation of parents have been sold this bill of goods that we've got to protect our children at any price. And then when something happens, you know, when, like when her kids had to go through her divorce, that level of suffering completely throws them off because they don't know how to deal with it. And she also said, you know, if you, want to raise kids who are kind and resilient you have to think about what creates that in the first place how did how did you know i got to tell you david i wasn't particularly kind and resilient when i was 25 years old because i hadn't suffered much um 
The other thing you said that was interesting when we were talking that morning is that you said, Bunny, you wrote this book about gratitude and I wrote a book about suffering. And I thought, is that, did you feel like Prayers of an Old Dad was a book about suffering? Because it was, it sort of integrated this whole practice that you have with Zadrian and, and the things that you hoped for him, but also some dashed hopes as well. I thought that was interesting for you to call it that. Absolutely. Um, I think another word for suffering is love because you can't have one without the other. Now, I don't think we should all walk around with our heads down, crawling on the floor, crying. There's plenty of that in the world, you know, recognize our suffering for what it is and then get up and try to help other people get up. And, um, and that's what I try to do every day. So um, there, there definitely is suffering. And we are so fortunate, so fortunate in random ways how, how much we have compared to when I travel to other places in the world. By the way, they have a lot of other things, too. We always think, oh, we've got everything. They don't have anything. No, they, they, they have a lot. They have more than we have in other areas but we have incredible material wealth and abundance at every level. And there are people who don't have it in this country. I don't want to deny that, but there is an enormous amount of wealth in the West. And, and so we, it's our, it's our burden too. Um, as much as it is our blessing, it's also being aware of it and being aware of the impact that it has on other people, I think is important. And prayers of an old dad, is really about a journey of being a parent when I wasn't expecting to be a parent, being uh, a care provider when I wasn't expecting to be a care provider, um, putting my career in another place when my career should have been, you know, by the standard should have been first place. And um, the lessons of that journey, which it continues today. Well, I, so let's talk about the book. Where did that where did that come from? I mean, where, at what moment did you, or, and I know it's not in a moment because it happens over a long period of time when you think I've got all these musings and these reflections and this stuff that I feel like it is certainly worth sharing. And your book is because it's so, I, I, it's so beautifully done, but talk about the book. Well, um, I think it, came you you actually have a lot to do with that book because i started writing that book when i came back to new mexico with zadrian and i was doing marketing working in marketing um for you and for other brokers and brokerages but um in that time i uh, was having to learn to accept what is and live in reality and that is hard to do we all have desires and expectations and crazy thoughts about what we want and who we want it with and how we want it. And then there's what's right in front of us and what's right in front of us almost never lies. What's right in front of us is just what it is. And I think what I was having to do at that time in my life is accept what was in front of me as it presented itself to me not as I, as I wished it, it had been. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I, that whole idea. Uh, so, so we, we try to, 
I got to tell you, it's, I, I don't want to convey um, this toxic positivity all the time. And in fact, um, I've worried that that's sometimes what we do, what I do, what we do in this platform. But uh, living in reality and um, saying, you know, sometimes the only thing that I can do is begin. Sometimes the only thing I can do is um, choose not to go back. Um, and, and at the end of the day, be grateful that I took one step, even though I had hoped to take 10. Um, I, I, I feel like that's what you're talking about when you say what's right in front of us never lies. Yes. I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think we tend to overestimate the big achievements in our life. And I think we tend to underestimate the small things that we wow. In our life, and a real world, a real world example where that happened for me is when we went into COVID. I, I stopped having to take my shirts to the cleaners. I stopped having to buy Starbucks every morning, and wow, did my checking account show it? It was, you know, just a couple dollars a day. A couple dollars a day. Wow, really, really made a difference. Um, so, so I think the small things. The small things count more than, than we know. Um, when you're driving down the street and you see someone who doesn't have a home or is, in, is, is living through addiction or whatever their situation is, um, you have an extra bottle of water, you give it to them. Um, you and I probably don't know what that means to a, a person like that. You know, I, I, I have had moments, I've had... Uh, people in my life come through my life. Fortunately, I have not experienced addiction, um, but I've had people come through my life who have lived through addiction. And I, and there've been different points in my life where I've found someone, you know, by railroad tracks or in the bushes um, that was unconscious. And it's sort of like, Hey, are you okay? And I remember one time I was at a gas station and I did have a bottle of water and I noticed in the bushes really close to the fuel pump that there was a person completely out of it. And, and I went over there and, and, and I, I, I mean, you have to be careful. And I, I said, hey, hey, are you okay? And this guy woke up and I, and I said, here's, here's some water. And, um, I didn't realize it, but what I was doing is Adrian was in the back of the truck and he saw that. And I was like, Oh, thank you, God. That was such, I don't know how that all happened, but what that was, was a teaching moment about, um, about trying to understand another person's life, another person's point of view without casting judgment upon it, being there to support someone, however, however little you can. Um, we all have an opportunity to serve someone else in some small way. And um, that's really what I would like to devote the rest of my life to, still being a communicator, still working in media, still uh, working obviously a lot in real estate now, um, but to, to serve others. And then what I've learned in personal relationships is that if you really want to understand another person's point of view, what you first and foremost have to do is suspend your own. It's like, oh, I got to suspend my own point of view 
in order to be able to hear someone else's. And um, that's another lesson that came out of that book was, wow, if you want to understand another, another person's point of view, you have to suspend your own. You have to make room for theirs, whatever their life path is. Um, you have to make room for that. And that's an act of not being selfish, of being generous, I think. Do you think that works with your kids too? I mean, do you think you have to, in order to hear what Zadrian needs, you have to set aside what you want for him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. God. I mean, it just struck me. I was like, oh, gosh. Wait. Because we, we work so hard to superimpose on our kids. We, I get totally guilty. We, we, we've looked at, you know, from pre-K now through third grade, um, San Diego, Santa Fe. Um, we have looked at schools in our own eyes, his mother and I, and we have repeatedly gotten the lesson that, <laughs> or been taught the lesson that what you want in an ideal quote-unquote school, that there is such a thing and there isn't, I've learned, is not necessarily what works for them. And uh, so now it's like, oh, okay, whatever that perfect school is for me is sort of beside the point because it's got to work for him. And he needs to navigate it on his own terms. It's not something I can go in there and pre-negotiate for him and have it all set up. It doesn't work that way. Again, he's got to fall. And uh, he has to experience pain. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely have had, had lessons on that. That's a great one to mention. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, and I want to go back to that idea of love and suffering, love and suffering being some of the same coin, because um, we, you know, there, there's that really obvious piece of love and suffering. If you love somebody, uh, you're, you're obviously going to suffer when they suffer. Um, or, or you're going to suffer if you experience some sort of a loss of them. You know, you know, I, you know. I love my parents. I will suffer when they're no longer on the earth. And but, but there's also that love of of, of that is I allow them to suffer. And while it breaks my heart, you have to allow a level of suffering. So I'm, I, I, I just you. I keep hearing that you got to let them call, fall. You got to let them fall. Um, love and suffering are similar things. I think they're. I think they are. They are definitely related. And another point to this that I've had to learn, and I think is in prayers of an old dad, is the idea that if you want to win an argument, you need to give up being right. There's no better way to win an argument than to give up being right. And if you can give up being right, that means you can sit in silence, caring, listening, loving, I'm not, not saying ignoring, but you can sit in the silence of your own words and you can accept what is right in front of you um, and you can make room for another by not having to be right. I think that's so important too. And does that work with Zadria? <laughs> uh, it definitely helps. It's it definitely it, it definitely has been like you know what I'm I'm getting into an argument with an eight year old. I, I really don't need to do that. <laughs> it's like no 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 I'm not going to argue with you. 
your point of view is is what it should be. I'm gonna just let this go when when a client or a customer comes at me with forks and arrows. I'm like, I'm just gonna like take this in for a minute because it's in that space when you take it in that you might be able to see something new other than what you're hearing. Because our brains are really all about, we interpret things, right? The human brain, our human brain, we wired our own brains. We have our own, um, our own views that we've hardwired in our own brain. And sometimes we need to make space for another point of view. And I think in that moment, when if you can, if you can give up being right, if you can Listen if you can think about how you could serve another person in a small un, in a small way that doesn't make you money. Um, it, that creates opportunity that you didn't know you had. Well, that's another that's a really another really interesting point is that we um, tend to think by letting go of our viewpoint we're giving up an opportunity. But what you're saying is that you really create an opportunity, right? I think that's right. I think that's, now you're talking as Bunny, the broker and negotiator. (laughs) Well, but I, I also think a lot about how um, we're kind of, we're hardwired. And like you said, we've created our brain. You know, we've talked about that a lot, especially when we did an interview with Daphne Miller and she talked about how, we we tend to be wired the way that we think and the way that we allow ourselves to think. But um, when we re, you know we sort of we're hardwired to think we can't fail. We can't fail. We can't give up. We can't give anything up. You know that's sort of the human condition. And I know that's especially hard with a small child. But it's but it's hard in a negotiation. I've been in a horrible negotiation with another broker for the last couple of weeks. I'm like, we're not even parties to this transaction. Why are we fist fighting? And it always brings me back to that, that statement by Seth Godin, who is like, he who fails the most wins. That's what you're saying is let it go. Seth Godin. Let winning stop. I I, I think another way to, to think of what you're talking about is, is that when when you when your love for someone else is greater than your need from that love, in in other words, the 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 best relationship is 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 when your love for someone is greater than your need from that person, and that's back to this idea or what are the small things that I can do? Um, I think that, and you know, when you're, when you're really frustrated and you're being attacked personally, I'm, I'm a normal human being too. It's like, well, it's, it's really hard to work with you right now. You're calling me every name in the book and you've accused me of every possible thing. And I'm trying to find a solution here. And I think, um, this, it's back to this idea that, that I, I need to make my, my consideration, my openness, my appreciation, indeed my love for them, greater than the need for what I'm going to get out of it. I'm so silent part of the time because I'm trying to, I'm, it's like you're getting my brain too full of these higher concepts. It's, um, it's, um, wow. It's because it's, it's, it, if you can, if your spirit can be generous and let, the idea of winning or 
dominating or, um, you know, almost recreating someone in your own image. I got to tell you, I tend to, to sort of bristle up when, when I think that somebody's attacking my intelligence. Like, are you really, really? I, you have to know yourself well enough to know better than to behave that way. But I do it all the time. It is hard when someone attacks you personally. Instead of communicating. To, right. Instead of making room for that, instead of accepting that in its totality, we want to fight back. And again, I think it's this idea that, you know, if you just pause, I find that when I can disconnect my reptilian brain and perceive what is in front of my face in its totality, that which is concealed from me is revealed. It all starts to make sense. It's like, oh, okay. And then I don't feel so at fault about, I have plenty of faults. I might've even made a, made, made a horrible mistake when someone comes at you that way. Um, but what doesn't work is trying to convince them a different way. What doesn't work is attacking them. The only thing that I find that works is letting things be what they are and doing the best that you can do in small ways to rectify the situation. And you have to get back up. You've fallen down. You have, that's what you were talking about. you got to get back up. And live in reality. <laughs> and live in reality. Which is... Which is, which is one of those things that I want to put on a post-it note and put somewhere. Because uh, when we talk about perception, you know, I mean, that's another thing that we're talking about here is our perception of what's going on isn't reality. That's, that's right. Thank you very much, Bunny. What I'm, <laughs> when, when you're sitting in front of me, Bunny, and we're talking, what I'm seeing is the is the light that was, has reflected off of you into my eyes, and there's a delay. There's a delay in what when I'm looking at you as a real person, the physics of the light that's reflecting into the iris of my eye. It's already happened by the time it gets to my eye. So I'm not I'm not actually. If you want to be really technical about it, I'm not seeing you. I'm seeing what I'm perceiving. And you have already happened. So that says a lot right there. It's like, wow, okay. So, so what, I'm, what I think is the truth is what I'm seeing, but that's not necessarily what someone else has seen. And it's a, it's a different thing than what objectively may have actually happened. Back to making room. Back to accepting. Back to accepting. Back to not wanting to win. Back to hard work. Um, <laughs> Back to hard work and 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 still being a creator and a communicator in that sometimes you just have to say, this is what I perceived. I, I get that I may have it wrong. So how do we go? How do we take small steps and go forward? And, you know, I don't want to wrap this into a neat little package because it's so much to think about. But um, if, if you were going to talk to... Um, the, the people that are listening right now and you were going to give them tips for some high level mindfulness that, that allows them to get that, you know, suffering, all suffering is not terrible. It's just a path to more reality. What, what, what would you suggest to folks 
if you were talking directly to somebody I, who's listening and having a hard time with the whole mindfulness part? Well, I, for one thing, I think that, um, um, you know, it's always interesting to me, and I, I, I have the image of Jesus and the image of Buddha, contemporary images, in my mind. And one of them has the, their eyes open, and the other one is frequently portrayed with their eyes closed. So one is looking outward, and one is looking inward. And they're looking, in my mind, at the same thing. They're, 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 they're seeking, uh, these, are, these are teachers who are seeking a higher truth. I think the most important thing um, for us when we are trying to be present, to have mindfulness, is to create a habit. Because the habit is what will help us when the bullets and arrows are flying at us, when the attacks are had. The habit, is, you know, if we can teach ourselves a small habit, the habit is what makes space to suspend my point of view. I know what happened. I know exactly what happened. And what you're saying is not what happened, but I'm going to take a breath, okay? And I'm going to let you put this out. Um, I really think it's the habit of, of being present, of accepting what is, of perceiving what's in front of our face and seeing what that reveals when we make room for that, of understanding another person's point of view by suspending our own. And that's where the hard work comes in. We have to learn to suspend our own point of view because we can't learn from each other and we can't help each other. Um, we all have our own cultural baggage. We have our family baggage. We have all the thing, the experiences that have happened to us. And we, it, it, we don't really live in the same world, actually. <laughs> we all have very different, totally different no. experiences. So I think that in a world where we are increasingly bumping up against each other, the only way forward is to make room for that and accept that for what it is. And then if I'm talking to someone individually, um, what I think is, is um, absolutely necessary. And what has helped me a lot um, in my own challenges is creating a habit for that, creating an algorithm really that when this happens, um, I, when Zadrian does something that completely sets me off, I'm not going to react that way. I'm not, okay. I'm going to, and, and that's hard. That's hard. When someone comes at you and accuses you or, you know, of something, you know, didn't happen. It's like, wow, this is really hard for me to communicate with because I know you're so wrong, but that's the problem is when we go to you're so wrong. So take that moment, suspend my point of view, suspend my own belief, make room for the alternative and ask myself, is there a way I can help you? I can't help everyone. But there's so many people I can help. So if I can't help you right now, Bunny, I can walk down the hallway and I bet I can find somebody that I can do something for. And that's really what gives me joy. That's, I mean, that's just my makeup. That's what gives me pleasure is um, serving, serving other people. Do I have desires? Do I have expectations? Yes, yes, yes. Um, but uh, in, in the second half of my life, that's where I want to spend it. Is, is what can I do for other people? Wow. I got to tell you, David, I am so grateful that we met each other and that you continue to be this person. I can call early in the morning and you'll say things to me 
like you said that morning, which was, wow, this morning at 3.30, I wrote down, if you want the water to flow, you have to remove obstacles. You, all the time, I know all the time you were thinking of, uh, you're this great philosopher who also um, is a, an amazing communicator. Yeah. So I, we, we've covered a lot of different, we've jumped from, from a, to a lot of different lily pads this morning. We've gone to a lot of different places, but I'm, I'm, I'm walking away with this, a bunch of new wisdom. I'm going to suspend my point of view for a few days. Bunny, I, I want to thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I am always impressed by how consistent of a communicator you are, how you find multiple channels to reach your tribe, your people, the people who you serve. And that's impressive and it's hard work. Uh, and so thank you for being an example uh, in in that way, and thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, always happy to have a conversation with you because we learn from each other. And uh, I don't have the answers. I don't know anyone who has all the answers, but I'm still looking. Well, thank you, David. We'll do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. Thank you, guys, so much. That's all we've got today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life-Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry, that's me, and my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. Also, follow us on Instagram at Life Saving Gratitude Pod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at bunnyterry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in. Mm-hmm.